podcasting the final audio frontier. These are the legends of Brown Squadron. Our computer is picking up a strange signal. Here, sir, you, you better take a look at it. The ongoing mission to explore the Star Wars universe and other nerd culture topics, to seek new content and new cantinas, bars, and lounges, to boldly annoy Scruffy by making too many bad jokes. Welcome to the Hyperspace Heroes Podcast. And welcome to Hyperspace Heroes. This is Brown Leader signing in tonight. And tonight's going to be a little bit of a different episode because there are no other wings to report in tonight. Uh, Brown 2 and Brown 4 are both pulled away on other missions tonight, uh, working for the Holy Empire that does supply our paychecks. So uh, they are needed much at work tonight. So, But you're not going to have to listen to me blather on for an hour by myself. Uh, we do have a, a guest on tonight with the show, and we're going to talk about a little bit of Star Wars, but we're also going to talk about a lot of things sci-fi in general. And our guest tonight is uh, E. Lee Zimmerman, or Ed, and he is the editor at SciFiHistory.net, an author. Um, and then I, I've just, if you'll indulge me for a second, Ed, I got to read your bio from Twitter, which I absolutely love. Sure. Uh, you, you list former infant sarcasm advocate, which is right up our alley. Uh, Factivist and math sufferer. So, welcome to the show, Ed. Well, thanks for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. I don't often do podcasts. I have been asked a few times, and I have done a few, but it's uh, it's you know it's kind of a new thing for me. I haven't really um, branched out into it. And um, when you reached out to me the other day, that's when I kind of thought, well, yeah, I haven't I haven't done one in a while, and it'd be great to get on and just kind of say hello and and chat a little bit about uh, science fiction fantasy and anything else that comes up uh, is also good too absolutely absolutely yeah and thank you for accepting the invitation we're, we're always happy to talk to other people in the sci-fi or nerd culture sphere as we we like to call it often too um we're all just fans and that's we just love talking about this stuff um, so first question real quick before we get into talking about sci-fi history.net which i really want to get into uh, as a star science fiction fan and as a Star Wars fan, what does Star Wars mean to you? Wow, you know that's it's such a big question. I think for anybody who is from the original trilogy era, uh, and that's not to not to throw any shade on the uh, prequel trilogy or the sequel trilogy, but I think for those of us who grew up with the original Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi. And let's just say anything else that came down the pike during those years, um, it, it, it taps back into, obviously, uh, a nostalgia for all of us. Um, but I think it takes us back also to a time when uh, sci-fi and fantasy was really being pushed in a decidedly different direction. As as you know, and as we'll talk about, my big bugaboo, what I like to do day in, day out, is kind of look at the history of science fiction and fantasy 
And Star Wars, especially that first film in 1977, was um, was a real game changer culturally because it really put sci-fi and fantasy on the map for the wider populations around the world. It wasn't. It was no longer just something that, oh yeah, your your friends who work in some kind of science or technology jobs, those were the guys who got those films. No, no. When Star Wars came out, it it opened. It swung open those doors to everyone, and that's why I think those of us who kind of emerged from that era, we feel and speak and think a little bit differently than, let's say, fans of the prequel trilogy um, think and speak and evaluate sci-fi. And again. Uh, we think a little bit differently than those of the sequel trilogy, the J.J. Abrams stuff. Um, you know, so it so it kind of represents a, a different time and a different place uh, for us culturally. And um, I think I think that's why that that's certainly what it means to me is it was the first time that sci-fi really opened its doors to everybody. Um, and so I thank George Lucas for doing that. Yeah, yeah, and exactly. Yeah, I think you nailed a, real, a lot of really good points there. And one of the things that we've tried to do with this show is we we like to talk to prequel fans that came in during that era, um, sequel fans that because there are some that uh, yeah older ones that are doing podcasts that we've kind of uh, come into, and I like to see because we were there at the dawn, the 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 birth of it. Like you said, it was really a time of of uh, evolution for science fiction. And we got to see that and keep tabs on that progress all the way up to today. And I've always wondered, I've been fascinated by how we see it versus how somebody like my children who grew up on the prequels, how they came, how they see it uh, as an already pre-existing thing, you know, because mm-hmm. we, we know, we know before and we know after. And we mm-hmm. have a we have a, a we have we can compare those things, and they don't have that reference. And I've always it, that's one of the things that, that fascinates me. And I love talking to younger fans about that, uh, how they view those things, and how do they look at the OT? You know, if they grew up on the special effects of the prequels, how do they? You know, and it, it's it's led to some really good conversations. What were your what was your first Star Wars experience? Um, I saw it. Uh, in my hometown in, in nowhere, Illinois, um, <laughs> the, the first week it opened, it didn't, obviously, because Star Wars had a staggered theatrical opening across the U.S., um, it didn't open in, like, you know, small towns until maybe a month or two later. Uh, it was still billed as being, you know, obviously a big release. Um, and um, it just so happened that uh, I, uh, I came from a family with two sisters and they weren't at all interested in star Wars, but, uh, I had a, a friend in the neighbor lady who was probably in her early twenties, you know, that she had just married and moved into the neighborhood. And, um, somehow we got talking one night, just sitting out in her front porch, uh, front porch and she couldn't wait for the film to come, but her husband didn't, again, didn't want to have anything to do with it. So she said, Hey, let's you and I go. And I said, that that'd be awesome. So she took me opening night. What we what we opted to do because we knew both of us were in for the treat of our lives, and we were. Uh, we showed up like thirty minutes late, and then because this was back in the day when 
you could kind of go to the manager and say, hey, we're coming in late. Is it okay if we sit through it now, but then stay for the next showing? And they were, oh yeah, of course, no big deal. So we sat through it essentially twice. And then um, I think I went back, not the next day, but I went back on Sunday with some, you know, with some other friends from the neighborhood. So that was my first exposure to it. Um, was, you know, again, having, having somebody who was a young adult take me at, at a formative time. Um, and I still, uh, back when the, just a number of handful of years back when the sequel, the sequel trilogy came out, she reached out to me via, uh, Facebook just to say, Hey, what did you think of the new ones? And I had to tell her, eh, you know, they kind of like star Wars was for a certain generation the JJ films—that's for a different generation than what I felt I was a part of. It just didn't—I didn't identify with them. So she did, which is great. You know, that's—I I said that's grand for her. It just didn't quite mean as much to me. I still am a huge, obviously, Star Wars fan, but uh, you know, I won't—I won't get into this, my feelings on the sequel trilogy, other than to say, I—I I, I can understand people who like it. I can understand people who didn't. And that's how that's how we are. Uh, we're kind of the same way. Uh, DB has a twelve-year-old uh, who this is. She's a Ray fan, you know, and and this is her Star Wars, and we couldn't be happier for her. Uh, and that, that and show. and and that's what I say. That's awesome because if there's any connection between you and the characters, that's that's what you and I have historically back to the original trilogy. Um, when I talk to the younger fans online. Um, I don't get that sense that they're as connected to the characters as they are the universe. So, you know, whatever draws them in is great. But when I hear, like in your case, no, this is this is a, a young woman who connected with another young woman as a role model. To me, that's great. There's nothing better in all of fandom than that. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, well, thank you for sharing that with us. I, I really appreciate that. And uh, I want to move on to uh, talking about learning learning a little bit more about you because you are, like I said, the editor of SciFiHistory.net. So tell us a little bit about the SciFiHistory.net and what the, you do there. Sure. The easiest way to kind of explain why I started SciFiHistory.net, again, I think you historically will be able to appreciate that more than maybe some of your other listeners because it takes us back to a time when the internet was chiefly message boards. You remember those? They're still yeah. out there. They don't get the kind of traffic that other social media platforms have kind of taken over for. Um, but there were a few of us on a, on a message board where we'd get together like every day. Um, going, this Again, it goes back about 20, 25 years ago, where we'd get together every day and try and trick one another with just some tidbit of sci-fi, fantasy, or horror trivia that tied to the day. You know, so we'd, we'd always be trying to one-up each other with respect mm-hmm. to, hey, here's who, here's here's a famous sci-fi writer who was born today, blah, 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 blah. You know, and we'd, te- we'd kind of put it out there as a question to see if we could get any other participants in, in these threads. But a lot of times it ended up just being, you know, those of us who were, um, like myself, a little older and a little more learned and knew a little bit more about um, or, or had committed a little bit more of that stuff to memory. Well, as as the message board evolved, um, it became 
you know, less and less important uh, for the for some of the people there um, to participate in it. So it ended up being just a one or two. I think there were three of us toward the end. And um, at one point, the administrator of the board reached out to me and said, hey, you guys are taking up too much space, blah, 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 blah. So I decided, well, okay, th that's okay, no big deal. I'll go off and start my own platform, my own place where I can do this. And so I had, um, I had a little corner of another message board universe that I that I ran for a few years until that place uh, ended up. Gosh, I think they ended up finally shutting down, and um, and that was back in like maybe 2012. And so in 2014, I opened up my own and I said, Yeah, I'm just gonna build my own build my own site, build my own readership, and um, go on from there. So the chief goal of SciFiHistory.net is 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 principally to celebrate birthdays, movie release dates, um, television show airing dates, the first and sometimes sub subsequent airings and, and broadcasts and, and releases of sci-fi, fantasy, and horror prospects. So if you go to any, um, any individual day of the calendar year, January through December, January 1st through December 31st, you're going to find anywhere from... Um, 50 different trivia citations related to that day all the way up to i think i know i've got one day that's got like 130 different citations so it's a you know it's it's a work in progress it's something that i can come to every day continue to add to um every now and then one of my old Buddies online will reach out and say hey this film you've got highlighted did you know on this date they won the Saturn Award for Best Costume. Oh, okay, so now I got to go add that because I'm now aware of it. Um, my research has produced, obviously, uh, an incredible amount of information up there. Um, but I'm always hearing from other people, hey, could you add this? I hear from actors. I hear from writers. I hear from directors. Oh, you know, you've got this citation, but actually it did screen at this festival which was never entered into its IMDb. Most of you know most of the hardcore data I get comes from either IMDb or Wikipedia, um, in terms of the chronology. So I'll, I'll hear from people to say, "Oh, well, this is actually incorrect, and it actually screened here." So I might send them an email back asking for more information to see if I can you know verify it because everything I I try to list up on SciFiHistory.net is as chrono chronologically accurate as I can get. So it's a place where sci-fi fans can go to just find out, hey, if, if, if uh, June 4th is my birthday, I can go look at June 4th and look at all the different sci-fi, fantasy, and horror uh, relationships that link back to my birthday. So it's a way to kind of just have some fun with, uh, with genre entertainment. That's very cool. That's very cool. Now, do you uh, do you focus on a certain? Do you have like a cutoff date? Like you're not really recording anything of anything produced after a certain date, uh, nope. or, it, or it, you're it's, including modern day stuff? It's it's an open door. Uh, obviously, I uh, it's harder to get um, smaller films and 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 uh, foreign TV airing dates. So, uh, IMDb is not really great at. You know, a show that that 
um, Dark. I don't know if you've heard of the show Dark on Netflix, mm -hmm. but that's a good example. Uh, it took a while for me to get Dark's original, um, what is it, Swedish uh, air dates, so that that way I could begin to incorporate when it um, when it actually was a new item as opposed to, oh, well, here's when it aired on Netflix. Well, you know, I, I, I had originally had it up under Netflix date. And so I will continue to grow and change sci-fihistory.net as long as I'm around. Um, and like I said, the beauty of it is it has grown so big now that, as I mentioned here a minute ago, I, I've got directors who will, I've got special effects people who reach out to me and say, hey, I'm working on this project. I don't know if you've heard of it. Let me send you some information. Um, they can't give me, obviously, a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff, but they can give me, if nothing else, a tickler that I can then put into my system that says, oh, okay, when, when or if I see this film mentioned anywhere, I can then, it jogs my brain, I go back and look in my files to find out, oh, do I have anything noted on this? And that's how I end up getting a lot of the data that I have today, more and more people reach out to me to let me know stuff that they want to see listed on the site. That's very uh, cool. That's very cool. Wow. Impressive. Um, wow. Yeah, I, I know. And I've been since uh, since we kind of linked up on social, I've been seeing her daily posts and and I've had to chuckle because there's even some movies on there. I'm like, never heard of it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know what? You, you and me both. I'm 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 one of these people that because I have done so much reading in, into these films because it, it chiefly started to, to advertise the, the sci-fi films. I, I broadened it a few years ago to do the TV airings, but it chiefly started with films. And I've read so much about film that it's very, very rare for me to find a film that in some way, shape or form I haven't heard somewhere in passing or read about in an interview or seen somewhere on a, on a site um, that I might frequent for my own purposes. But when I do, this is the downside to being in this kind of, uh, you know, volunteer job is that when I do all of a sudden, oh, I got to find everything out about this film that I can. And so I'll spend 45 minutes one morning reading about some obscure title that came out in Italy that apparently never had an official release in the U.S. because it was bought by a distributor who hatched, you know, who, who hacked it up to use their footage for something else. And, you know, you end up going down all these rabbit holes. Um, and in the, you know, at the end of the day, I've spent 45 minutes not really coming up with anything that I can add to my site. Just, it's that trivia that just keeps, it, it's that gift that keeps on giving. Right, right, right on. Now, do you focus strictly on, because you started, you said you started with movies, you're now adding uh, what's on the small screen. Is it strictly live action or do you include uh, animation? The animation, I, I, I tend to ignore or put, I, I won't ignore it completely. I'll put it in my, in my tickler files for each of the respective dates when I see the information because there is so much out there. Um, when you open the door to American animation, then you also have to swing the door open to um, things that have been done in Europe, things that... Uh, Japan, it's, it's huge. There's a huge database of information out there regarding anime that um, I, I, I've just held off on because while it's a, you know, a single person enterprise, I, I've only got so many hours in the day that I can, you know, research and stuff. If, if and when I find, 
because there are people out there who do what I do, but they'll do it specifically for anime, or they'll do it specifically for the Stargate franchise, or they'll do it specifically for, um, you know, let's say a weird European um, uh, cult animated uh, series that I'm not aware of. When I find those websites, you know, I'll go and I'll try to pull information that I can, as I said, put in my own little tickler system so that that way when that date comes up again, you know, either, either if it's September 18th uh, or if it's today but next year, I see it in the morning when I sit down in front of my files to, just, to make a determination, okay, am I going to add this? Or, yeah, you know what, if I if I push this door open too much, I'm now going to start getting requests from people in the animation industry. Because as an example, um, I, I, I did start to put in some stuff on um, um, voice actors. Well, for the next month, I was deluged with requests <laughs> from voice actors saying, hey, could you research this and do uh, you know, when, when when I have some free time, I'm happy to do it. But you guys have to keep keep in mind this is a you know this is a one man show, and uh, I, I I have to find time in the day to eat, to live, and to bathe and to work. Um, and while I while I'd love to put it, um, how about for now I reference just you, the actor, the talent, uh, the premiere date, um, and then maybe the uh, original launch date of the show. So I have it at least listed in here. Uh, and, and usually that concession gets the, the, the talent okay with it. If they're a creator uh, or, uh, or they, uh, they work in more of an administrative capacity, they tend to want more. So then I usually have to tell them, okay, for now, I just, I just don't have the time to do it. I'll, I'll put it in my system. I'll put it in my, in my tickler system. Um, and hopefully you'll see it at some point uh, down the road. Right. Yeah. It, it's a, it's a big world. And I mean, like I, like we said in the earlier, you know, we saw the dawn of it and we've seen it just explode since the, the late seventies and early eighties. And, um, so sounds like really what you need is you need help. <laughs> you need more people. <laughs> so, you know, this is a call out to Matt from Yubcast. You know, you're looking for another project. Hint, hint, maybe, who knows? Uh, Matt is a friend of ours. He run, he and uh, his buddy Jamie do a podcast uh, called Yubcast, and they're strictly Star Wars animation. That's what they mm. talk about. And his level of knowledge is, is absolutely insane. Uh, but yeah, voice actors, that's a whole nother world that we've kind of gotten into recently. We go to ICCC every year or the last two years. And this year they had the the whole, all but uh, one of the whole cast of Rebels, Star Wars Rebels. And it was really cool to be able to sit and talk with them. Oh, and wow. Listen, yeah, and listen to them. And it's really made me appreciate. Um, and they had voice actors there last year. They had, it was the big three from Clone Wars, Star Wars Clone Wars. So it's really made me appreciate that as a, as an acting form, um, mm -hmm. a lot more for sure. Um, and, and, and just to add to that, those, that talent, that, that special segment of the talent universe, they, they are very, very hungry for recognition of their work and, and who can blame them because the, the, it, it's phenomenal what they can do. And yes, I agree with all of them that it, it's it's a shame they don't get more recognition. They don't. They're not paid better. That they don't. Uh, they're not really 
build as stars the way that a Tom Cruise or a Tom Hanks or a Julia Roberts is. That that is an utter and complete shame. Um, but hey, you and I we're we're just two fans. There's only so much we can do. <laughs> right on, right on. Um, all right, so uh, so let's let's go down. Let's start to talk about a little bit about current sci-fi because, like we've said, I've said a couple times now, we kind of saw the birth of it, we saw the growth of it, we saw the the highlights, the the highs, the lows. Uh, you know, from Battle Beyond the Stars to <laughs> Star Wars to I mean, just all sorts of different sci-fi that's been produced not just domestically but around the world how do you feel like sci-fi has progressed to the modern day do you think like because now we have uh theaters are kind of on the decline for now and mm -hmm. that used to be our main you know all the films went to the theaters at first except for the b or c level sci-fis that were made direct for you know the small screen but now with the explosion of streaming services, and especially since COVID, um, we're seeing more like Netflix is putting a lot of money into, into per, uh, original programming. Apple, Paramount has, uh, you know, taken on the Trek franchise. So, I mean, there's just, there's so much being produced on the small screen now mm -hmm. that is just completely bypassing the theaters. How do you feel we're at in terms of sci-fi content? It, you know, it's 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 a it's a big question, and one of the other one of the other things that I mentioned in my in, or that I have on my little um, Twitter bio is a phrase: "Don't expect me to to agree," and and I've had to incorporate that over the years because of a lot a lot of the lessons I've learned from SciFiHistory.net, and 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 that being. <clears throat> when you are, and again, this I could be perfectly wrong here. This is just my my two cents on this. But when you come from, let's say, our generation, and we've seen some highs and lows, um, we we grew up at a time when, obviously, as I said earlier, Star Wars really lit a fuse, and it was a fuse that burned brightly for so long. We were inundated over, let's say, the next ten years with a lot of very, very, very inferior either rip-offs or knock-offs or, let's say, variations on a theme. And um, a lot of them didn't get it right, but there were also a, a fair number of them that hit close enough to the mark that they earned a soft spot in our minds, in our hearts, and, and we kind of continue to follow them. And they're the kinds of films, like you mentioned a second ago, Battle Beyond the Stars. It's the kind of film that most audiences today would say, well, that's utter garbage. And for, for folks like you and me, we go, okay, but it's our garbage. You know, we, it, it came from our era. We, we enjoy it uh, like 1980s Flash Gordon. A lot of, a lot of people um, would watch that and go, again, that's, that's utter garbage. And we say, no, 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 you're, you're, if you think that's garbage, you haven't seen real garbage. Um, but I think where sci-fi... George Lucas and Star Wars turned sci-fi because, again, if you go back to, let's say, the, um, the 60s and the early 70s, <clears throat> sci-fi cinematically, and even on television, um, had kind of a dour and a downbeat tone to it. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. You can go back and look at films like um, 2001. You can look at films like um, Soylent Green. You can look at films like uh, Logan's Run, and you could see that they, there was a very strong undercurrent to them. Even the original Planet of the Apes had a very strong undercurrent that, okay, no, we want to demonstrate to people that science fiction and fantasy can be serious, and audiences should be looking at it from a serious perspective. <clears throat> George Lucas, um, for, for, for better or for worse, said, hey, you know what, I'm, I want to take it back to what it was like in the 30s, when it, it, it just meant, uh, was meant to be entertaining, it was, meant, it was meant to be inclusive, and it was meant to be fun. Um, so for, you know, from the 30s to roughly the 50s and let's say mid 60s, um, that's a lot of what science fiction was. MST3K clearly tapped into that when they said, oh, all of these uh, kind of goofily low budget sci-fi productions of the 50s and 60s and maybe even some of the early 70s stuff, we're going to take and we're going to lampoon them because you know what? We land lampooned them when we were watching them originally. We didn't we didn't take them serious, and obviously there wasn't the kind of investment in the story or the characters intended for us to take them seriously. So we we had fun with it. But as I said, I think Hollywood realized, you know, roughly in the late '60s, they 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 kind of turned that corner and said, no, we we want to take this and we want to make them more. Uh, vanity projects, and that's what that's what opened the door for Stanley Kubrick. That's what opened the door for Douglas Trumbull, um, and quite quite honestly, that's what opened the door for Steven Spielberg with Close Encounters of the Third Kind. They're opening the door, uh, or, or, or they, that door got shut with Star Wars. Not shut completely, but shut to the point that everything became fun. I I, I lay this out because. I, I think that's where we're at now in today's current marketplace with science fiction and fantasy. When you look at what, and again, I'm not talking about quality or I'm not talking about audience opinion. I'm just trying to say when you look at, take Star Trek Discovery as an example and say, wow, you have just ripped all the fun out of a franchise that for, gosh, 30, maybe 40 of its 50 plus years um, gave us excellent morality play stories, but also gave us characters who could have a little fun. Um, that's gone from Star Trek. Now, from at least so far as Star Trek Discovery is concerned, people try to say, oh yeah, but look at um, uh, Star Trek Lower Decks and look at the Star Trek Prodigy, which tried to make it a little more kid-friendly. And, and I just, my response to that is I haven't seen enough of them to give you a, a qualitative assessment, but I can tell you from what I've seen, no, that's, that's dumbing it down for an audience. That's not saying that, and, and again, I don't mean that as a disrespect to the audience. I just mean it as that's taking something and trying to put a kid-friendly face on it. That's not the same thing. Star Trek Strange New Worlds, I will say, is far more respectful it's far more interesting. Um, I think it's far more prescient. But I say this on the eve of a musical episode. And I, I was already taken to task online today for saying, because I, I, I don't subscribe to Paramount+. Plus. Um, I waited to see Strange New Worlds until it came out on DVD. And I'll do the same for its second 
Um, but my two words online today was you've got to be pretty intellectually bankrupt to think that an all singing or an all music episode of Star Trek set in the original era of Star Trek was anything remote, remotely similar to a good idea. Um, no, no, that's a cash grab. Um, that that's, oh, you know what? We're tired as writers of working on serious morality play based stories. And so we just want to have fun. We'll still have all those things that the morality play has. We'll still put all the things in for those people who are watching close enough to get them. But, um, the fact that we want to set it to, to, to music. No. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. That that's that's where I go. No, you're intellectually bankrupt if you think that was a good idea. I don't fault them for doing it. I don't hate them for doing it. It's just no. That is not what Star Trek is. That is not what Star Trek does. So again, I think that I think that um, Discovery especially tried to push Star Trek in, back into that we want to we want to be intellectual stories. Um, but I think they've gone about it about in, in entirely wrong. So, um, th does that at least kind of help summarize where I see science fiction? That's Star Trek specifically, but I could I could make the same point with Star Wars, um, not not as as vividly, because obviously you don't have as much Star Wars content to compare it to. When you look at you know the amount of the volume of hours that Star Star Trek has produced, versus the volume of hours that Star Wars has in its library. Yeah, um, yeah. I want to stay on Star Trek for a little bit longer, just because I know when Scruffy's listening to this playback, it's going to drive him absolutely crazy. But um, just <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, you know, uh, I watched season one of Strange New Worlds, and I watched it before I watched Discovery, and uh, we had Paramount Plus for a while, so I was like, before I kill it, I'll, I'll catch up on some of these shows. Uh, DB is a, is, a, is a Trek fan, and I grew up as a Trek fan and a Star Wars fan, and I, you, you nailed some points on Discovery. It, looking back, and I haven't finished Discovery, and I can see why some people gave up on Discovery, because it was trying to... It was trying to do its social messaging a little too on the nose, I think. Mm. Whereas the original show, like you touched on, was poignant. It it touched on social issues, but in a very creative and fun, often fun way. Campy, I, I should say, more than fun, really. In a, in a, uh, you know, there was a lot of camp with that original show. And, but it still touched on all those social issues of the day. And I think Strange New Worlds... I've, I've only watched season one. I haven't watched season two yet, so I haven't seen that musical episode either. But uh, it had, yeah, It when I watched season one, I was kind of, uh, and DB hasn't had a chance to watch it yet, but uh, yeah, it kind of felt like old Trek. It felt like original series. You know, they were working in some messaging, but they were also having some of that fun. Um, I really like the guy that they have that plays Pike. I think he's doing a great job. And... Anson Mount is a genius actor. He's genius. Mm -hmm. I loved him in Hell on Wheels, which is not science fiction at all. It's a, it's a it's an old western chronicling the building of the Trans Pacific Railroad. Um, but he's a he's a brilliant actor. He's a brilliant actor. And yes, I agree with you 100%. He he. If there's any reason for me to actually uh, watch season two or to even continue beyond that, it would be for Anson Mount alone. Mm -hmm. He's that yeah. good. 
yeah, he's just got an on-screen charisma that just, yeah, just radiates. And, and yeah, he is really the star of that show. But, but uh, I think I, th I think you touched on something, too, that's very important, is that with the original Trek, and even if you think of Next Generation, and you think of Voyager and Deep, Deep Space Nine, and maybe to a small degree, even, even Enterprise, the whole point was, you're right, was the story was far more paramount um, to uh, the central action of the show. Um, now, and, and, and yes, they were using it allegorically to comment on the, you know, whatever the hot button of the day was. Um, right. Uh, right. It, it, um, Kirk was the great quintessential cowboy astronaut, whereas uh, Picard, hey, I, I wouldn't follow him, but, but he's a great manager. Um, you know, and, and so that you look at those two uh, polarities when, when you when you try to address the stories and, and look at the different ways that things were done. Kirk would just rush out, you know, with with, with phasers on stun and Picard would say, let's go to the ready room. Um, all well and good, but they were they were very clear reflections of their time um, that. So the question I posed when I got. Um, confronted by one of the Discovery actors online was, oh, okay, what does Discover, what does Star Trek Discovery, what, what, what are they representing of today? And they couldn't give me a cogent answer. They could just say, well, let's talk about pronouns. Okay, okay, no, no, <laughs> no, no you, because again, you're missing the point. How is Star Trek Discovery reflective of today? If all you want to do is say, oh, we've pulled this from social media, we pulled this from today's headlines. We pulled this from uh, some kid in China on TikTok, um, and and try to tell me that's that's how representative of today I, I, you are, and you're trying to be. Okay, then in 20 years, your show is not going to be remembered, not the way the original Trek is remembered 50 and 60 years later. It's just not going to be. It's not going to be recalled. And I think, to a degree, they understand that. I think they understand they are they are a niche version of Star Trek, and there's nothing wrong with that. As I said, I don't I don't fault Paramount for trying to push Trek in a new direction at all. I thank Paramount for saying, hey, you know what? Let's go back a little bit with this strange new worlds to the way it used to be, uh, to see if we can't maybe bridge those worlds a little more efficiently. Yeah, yeah, and I, I do give I give Paramount a lot of credit for trying trying new things. You know, at least they've been uh, been willing to do that. And uh, whereas you know Lucasfilm has been a little more, they've tried new things, faced backlash, and then recoiled and tried to fix what they thought was a, you know what the fans had the vocal fans had decided was a mistake. Um, you know, with the sequel trilogies going back and forth in their their storylines, and um, you know, and they're they're hesitant about recasting. Alden Ehrenreich was a, you know, there was he was a. I thought he did fine. I thought he was a fine younger solo. It was good enough. And but you know, whereas Trek has recast Spock three or four times, they've recast Kirk now. They've you know they're they're so I do give them credit. I give them credit for at least taking chances. Mm -hmm. and trying to move beyond and not stay in just a tiny little box right well and and they 
at one level they have to, right? If it doesn't evolve somehow, it's not, uh, how, how long can you functionally, how long can you um, base your profitability of a franchise on a program that is, you know, like I said, it's 55 years old. Um, right. At some point it has to evolve. I think that I understand maybe why they thought Discovery was the way to go. I'm just, you know, much like I say with the Star Wars sequel trilogy, it's just not for me. I say the same with Star Trek Discovery. I don't, as I said, I don't fault them. I don't fault any of the actors. Um, I just, from a from a historical and intellectual and academic perspective, I question, okay, how, how remembered is your show going to be? I just don't think it's going to be remembered. Yeah, yeah, I don't think it's going to have quite the impact that Strange New Worlds is having. I think that'll be a, a much larger impact. Because in the end, I mean, this is all, it's all entertainment. It's all, right. you know, we want to have fun. And yes, we have, you know, like we go back in our classics and we have the classics like Close Encounters and we have 2001 and uh, things like that. But what grabbed the limelight? It was the fun. It was the action. It was the serialization, you know, that Lucas brought back into the into the industry you know for the for the genre um, well the, the, there's that but i think the deeper issue is that science fiction in the uh again late 60s early 70s and let's let's say through most of the 80s um it was written by and, and you've probably heard this argument online too it was written by people who actually had something to say about the world Star Trek today seems to be written by people who want to say something about their lives. Okay, what you as a writer have experienced isn't necessarily what the world is experiencing. We may be experiencing it through minor social, socially driven controversy, but you're not dealing with things that are big ticket, universally acknowledged and agreed upon issues you're saying oh okay uh this global warming thing that seems to be only accepted by 50 50 depending upon what poll you believe we want to make that the linchpin of this season okay automatically then if if you're having to accept a lower audience um number because you are not considered a central star trek program all right let, let's say we started out with 50 million fans and discovery is down to 25 million because it's not considered to be on par with the original star trek right or even any of the the, the, the spin-offs so let's 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 assume that that being the case now you're down to 25 million viewers or fans do you now want to cut that in half because you want to invest in a storyline that only 50% of your audience accepts? You want that to be your allegory that, that you're remembered on. Okay, now you're down to 12 and a half million. And because of long form storytelling conventions, if there are 10 episodes, you and I both know. We're, we're, you and I are, we're old dogs. We understand if there are 10 episodes, really only five of them are going to focus on the core story right so now we're filling 10 episodes with five episodes of fluff 
that may be entirely inconsequential. They try to wrap it all up, but if, if you've watched season one of, of Discovery, I've watched season one and season two and part of season three, um, they don't do a very good job tying it in. Why? Because you're watering down the central idea amongst a lot of ancillary mm. issues that are not important to the main story. It's 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 what's killed it. It's what's killed Star Wars as well. Is you've you've taken some good serialized storytelling in the Mandalorian seasons one and two, relevant, character driven, and yeah, they might have had a high and low here and there, but. Come season three, we realize, okay, we were given, what, eight episodes in The Mandalorian season three? And really, were, were there two or maybe three that were relevant? The others, uh, Lizzo, Jack Black, you just kind of go, this this stuff is, is, is not important to the main storyline. So why are we investing, what, 25, 15, 25 million dollars an hour? Why are we investing in something that's not important to the main storyline? That's what's killing Star Wars. That's certainly what's killing it, it. It effectively has killed Paramount Plus for Star Trek because they're battling to be what fourth or fifth place in streaming. You're not going to survive with that audience and at that and at, at that profit level. And the same is true um, for um, Disney Plus. They're in the exact same boat. Actually, they're probably worse because they spent far more. On um, on the Star Wars series than uh, Paramount has spent on um, Star Trek, at least from all I've read. That may well, be accurate, but from what I've read, that would right. And I think they're starting to get into a little bit of that with Marvel. Hey, but too. I agree with you. Um, I agree with you in that um, Aaron Rich Alden, Aaron Rich was yeah, uh, Alden was Aaron a fabulous yeah. uh, solo. Yeah, uh, I enjoyed I enjoyed Solo, uh, whereas a lot of people didn't. I liked Rogue One, um, and there were parts of uh, Andor that I enjoyed, and um, they had one animated one that I watched, Tales of the Jedi, I think. A that was good. Uh, or Tales, yeah, Tales was really good. Yeah, yeah, I, I enjoyed Tales. I only watched I think one episode of the other one, Visions. Visions. And I, I, it didn't do anything for me, so I didn't go back to it. Uh, I, I was preferential to season one over season two, just because I'm a little more of an anime fan, um, mm. and so I, you know, because we had a lot of good classic anime when we were growing up, and so, uh, yeah, it just it struck a, a good chord for me. Uh, not that season two was bad, because it wasn't, but it was different studios from around the world, not so much anime. Um, but so as far as streaming, since that's really kind of, yeah, we're still getting some films, uh, on the big screen, but streaming really seems to be where it's at now for mm -hmm. new content. Where, is there any particular one service you think that's kind of hitting it out of the park with, uh, sci-fi or, you know, I, I, that's it, hard to say because it, it all it always boils down to what a person's likes and preferences are. That's one of the things that I, I constantly get into debates with readers on scifihistory.net is that um, they will come to me and say, oh, tell, tell me something I'm going to love. Well, there is no way I can tell you what you're going to love because I, it, give me an idea of what you like and I can tell you stuff that's like that, mm -hmm. but I can't tell you 
um, I don't know what your individual filters are. I don't know what your likes and preferences are. I don't know if you've got some bugaboo about certain actors or actresses. So I can't tell you something that you're going to love. I can tell you what I like. I can tell you shows that I think are worth the time. Um, I mentioned earlier Netflix and Dark. I think Netflix is has made the best substantive purchases in science fiction and fantasy because they're getting some stuff out of Japan and Korea that um, that are good. They may not be as as good um, Western versus Eastern storytelling sensibilities being what they are. They may not be as as uh, as good or as on par with a Star Wars or a Star Trek or a Stargate, you know, any of the other major sci-fi franchises or even a Doctor Who. But the point being, uh, Netflix has certainly been willing to invest in some shows like Into the Night. I don't know if you've seen that one. Um, it's on Netflix. It's essentially about an apocalyptic event and it's told from the point of view of a plane that's trying to fly around the world to stay ahead of the event as the world is revolving. So they're mm -hmm. racing against time to get to a place where there's a bunker that they know they can get out of the plane and get into the bunker in time. You know, so first season is basically a race against time. Um, second season is what happens once they're in the bunker and they realize, oh, things are not quite as rosy as we were led to believe they were. And then they've done a spinoff with that that's set in a sub, in a submarine that's going, you know, obviously that's kind of being shielded from the solar event. Um, and it runs in parallel time with the first two seasons of Into the Night. Ah, oh. Hello there, Hyperspace Heroes fans. This is Brown Leader. And... As you can tell, we had a slight technical error right there where we did lose a piece of the audio during our discussion about Netflix and just wanted to apologize to Ed real quick, uh, who was a great guest, and we are going to have him back on sometime in the near future to talk more sci-fi. But here is the rest of that discussion in regards to streaming services and then the rest of the show. Enjoy. I know I watched one on, it was called Rain, I think, that was pretty decent. Mm -hmm. um, and then... Uh, yeah, so, I, I, they, I, yeah, they seem to kind of be the juggernaut. You know, Apple, I think, is trying to take a step up. They've, uh, they had a serious one called Invasion, and which season two is about to drop, and then they had the new Silo series, uh, which was pretty good. And, um, you know, yeah, Hulu doesn't really seem to be making any waves. Um, and, yeah, Netflix. And Netflix, at least they've been trying to from serious sci-fi to lighthearted stuff. I think their newest one is They Clone Tyrone, which looked based on the trailer I watched, looks more like a comedy with Jamie Foxx and uh, a few yeah. others. Um, yeah. So at least John, I'm trying John to... Boyega, yeah. Yeah, and it uh, looks interesting, you know, lighthearted. Um, mm -hmm. And they actually had one of my favorites of recent years, which was Mute. I really enjoyed I don't know if you've seen that one. Um... It's by the same, uh, it's in the same universe as Moon, which was a Sam Rockwell. Um, and it takes place, and it's got Paul Rudd as kind of the semi-quasi bad guy. And it's a Paul Rudd I've 
it was amazing role for him. I mean, it was just not what you would expect out of Paul Rudd. But um, it was a futuristic, slightly Blade Runner-ish, uh, about an Amish guy <laughs> of all things living in the city, <laughs> and in the future. It was. It's actually really. It's. It, he's a mute, and uh, it, it's. It's actually a really good, really good movie. It's. It's one I would. I would definitely recommend. It's very underrated, uh, in terms of what people have heard about it. But let's. Um, you know, let's start to wrap this up a little bit, and we'll talk about. You know, what are some. What are a few classics that you would recommend to kind of general audiences? And then what are some current ones that you might recommend? Wow. Um, classics, I suppose if you were, you know, if you were looking for, wow, my t uh, if I were to try and come up with my top five, which I've been asked to do many times, and I always say that, you know, the, the problem I have with that is that I, I watch so many films that are outside science fiction, fantasy, and horror, it gets difficult to come up with just sci-fi, fantasy, and horror. But if I were, I would tell people to go back and watch the original um, The Day the Earth Stood Still from 1951. Um, that was one of the first sci-fi films I can remember watching as a little guy. And uh, it's, it, it's just genius. It's just genius storytelling that still holds up today. Um, I would say watch the original Planet of the Apes from 1968. It's another film that if you can get through the silliness of Charlton Heston trying to do his best William Shatner in the opening, um, if you can get through that, you can get through just about anything. Um, then stepping into kind of our era, going with obviously the original Blade Runner, um, those would probably be my top three. As for an obscure one that I might say is is worth the time and effort just for pure silliness. Um, the the brain from planet the brain from planet Aros A R O U S. It's just it's one of those goofy bad sci-fi films. I know it's been lampooned by MST3K, but it's the kind of film that if you if you sit down and watch, you, you, you might say, oh my gosh, I can see where so many of sci-fi's stupid ideas came from. It came from that film. There are just so many bad ideas in there. Um, the other thing that I would recommend, people love like the original Invader from Mars. It just bores me silly. Um, and that's my problem is that so many films honestly bore me silly because the complexity of the ideas are just not rich enough to watch again. Um, but if I were to, you know, if you held a gun to my head and said, give me three sci-fi films, those would be the three. I can mention that there are two, or actually three from the last 10 years that are probably worth the effort. Prospect. It's a great indie film with Pedro Pascal. It's an indie sci-fi film uh, set on a distant world where he's basically he's he's a he's a crook, um, and he has to kind of save this young girl um, based on the circumstances that they find themselves in together. It's a great nifty little character story, um, and it's the kind of film that's a small budget that I wish Star Wars was doing because that that would be great. Um, Vanishing Waves is another one. I want to say it's from 2012. Um, it's another one that the richness of the ideas makes it worth the time. Um, 
and it has to do with interfacing with uh, uh, with your subconscious and unconscious mind um, via you know via technology. Um, another one would be upstream color. It's um, it's it's one that I've recommended time and time again, and most of the times that people watch it, the big the big pushback I get from most people is that, but there's no real dialogue in it. Yeah, you're right. And that's because the film is not about dialogue. It's about connecting uh, at a genetic level and also on a spiritual level with another person. So it's, it's, so it's not, it's, it's a sci-fi film, but it's honestly, it's not for everyone. It's one of those that you have to watch and probably a half hour into it, you'll know, hey, is this going to be worth my time? Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, I've seen Prospect. I really enjoyed Prospect. Uh, yeah. I thought that. I thought that was a. It, it kind of. It had. Um, it was almost like a Ridley, like a Ridley Scott college film before he did Alien. You know, yep. and yep. Uh, and so it just it had that felt, vibe. Uh, Prospect felt. Like the B movies of the '80s. Yes, there was just enough sci-fi and just enough fantasy to make it believable, yep. without pushing pushing you know the boundaries. And the special effects were just what you'd call good enough to make it entertaining. They didn't they didn't win any awards with special effects, but the whole point was it was it was the relationship between the two characters. And uh, the strength of the story that makes it a journey worth taking. Yeah, and the acting was solid. I mean, yeah, it was very good. Everybody in it just they played. So one of the things I evaluate uh, a good production by is: do I see the character? Do I see the actor playing the character, or do I just see the character? And hmm. despite it being Pedro Pascal and the young lady that was that was in the lead, I didn't see character. I didn't see actors. I just saw characters. Yeah, saw the characters, you know. right? Mm -hmm. And it was yep. really, really well done. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of that movie. Absolutely. Um, well, Ed, this has been a great uh, journey uh, talking about sci-fi, and really, really enjoyed having you on. And I and would like to invite you back again. Uh, minus the tech issues, of course. Minus the tech uh, issues. I'd love to come back. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we wanna, we wanna uh, definitely have it. And I know the guys were chomping at the bit. They were kind of jealous they couldn't make it tonight. So I know they're gonna wanna talk to you about some things. But you are a wealth of information. And why don't you tell our listeners where they can find everything uh, for you? I am up almost daily um, on SciFiHistory.net. You can find me there. I'm, I'm reachable via all of the, the links on the website. You can also find me on Twitter at uh, E. Lee Zimmerman. That's at E. Lee Zimmerman. Um, I, uh, I do post daily. As you mentioned, I'll, I'll post uh, film stuff. And I do a lot of reviews on uh, SciFiHistory.net. I've got a lot of long-lasting distributor, distributor relationships. So some of these people... You know, send me copies of films that um, uh, that are just getting released. So I see them a lot of times almost days before they're out available to the public. I get a lot of stuff through streaming too, especially through Shutter and whatnot. So I cover um, I cover a lot of smaller releases. I don't typically do the big stuff because everybody does those. I, so I try to spend my time with some of the smaller things 
uh, hoping to find those little nuggets of joy that folks like you and me and your listeners and your friends can appreciate a little bit more. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I've just been amazed by the amount of information and th- can't thank you enough for coming on tonight. And I encourage all of our listeners, all four of you, six of you, however many there are, to go ahead <laughs> and check check everything out that Ed's got up there. And um, yeah, so I think with that and uh, for Collection Corner, we're going to skip that tonight because uh, without the guys here, there's really... Uh, we're really looking forward to having DB back on because he's been off the air for so for about a month now. So I know he's going to have quite the laundry list of things that he's added to his uh, collection. And uh, I know Scruffy has gotten into a few more comic book lines. So uh, just weighing him down. So, um, but yeah, thanks for coming on. And uh, Ed, before we before we sign off, um, all of our guests become honorary members of Brown Squadron. And with that, you get a flight designation and a call sign uh, for being part of the squad. And so uh, you are now uh, known as Brown 31, because uh, if you're on here with the guys, you would have heard them say, you know, this is Brown 2 signing in. This is Brown uh, 4 signing in. You are now Brown 31, and your call sign is Dorak. And where that comes what? from, Dorak, <laughs> D-O-R-A-K. Okay. And it's uh, uh, kind of a Legends character in a way. It's, he was in um, Knights of the Old Republic. Uh, the video game, oh, okay. and he's a chronicler. He's a Jedi chronicler of Jedi history, and um, not that's of, fitting. That's that's, ex- that's fitting. <laughs> exactly. That's why. That's why we chose that. So, uh, so yeah. So welcome to the crew. And uh, like I said, we definitely look forward to having you back on the air and talking more uh, science fiction down the road. So, um, anytime. Just let yeah. me know when. Yeah, so thanks for joining us. So you heard where to reach him, where to find all of his stuff. I definitely uh, give him a follow on social and uh, bookmark scifihistory.net without a doubt if you want to know anything and everything just about with sci-fi. And so with that, I think we're going to sign off for the night. And uh, yeah, let's get out of here. This is Brown Leader signing off for the crew, and you have been listening to Hyperspace Heroes. That's no moon. That's no moon. Hyperspace Heroes podcast can be heard on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Stitcher, and most other podcast services. If we are not on your service of choice, let us know. To leave your five-star review, just click on the review button on your podcast service of choice and praise us at the maximum character limit available. To contact the show to comment, ask a question, suggest a conversation topic, or just to tell us how handsome we are, you can send us a DM on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter accounts. You can also email us at brownsquadron at gmail.com. Star Wars, its characters, shows, movies, books, etc. You get it. Our properties of Lucasfilm and Disney. Hyperspace Heroes Podcast has no affiliation with Lucasfilm and Disney, although we would very much like to. Hyperspace 
Hyperspace Heroes podcast comments and opinions are ours alone and the show is for entertainment purposes only. This is so we cannot be held liable when we say something dumb. If you're still listening at this point, we would like to say thank you for joining us on this exposition into a galaxy far, far away, and we appreciate you spending your time with us. We hope you'll share the show with other fans and that you'll tune in again for the next episode. Hyperspace Heroes Podcast, The Legend of Brown Squadron. That's no moon! Sorry, he burped.